quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. All right, let's turn now to breaking debate news. The top 10 2020 Democrats have been mixing it up in Texas. And this has been an interesting night. Joe Biden had to come to play. Did he come as Jolton Joe or Sleepy Joe? What about Elizabeth Warren? She's been on the rise. Did she raise her game? Let's face it, a lot of candidates on that stage are fighting to survive. They say electability is key. What did that mean tonight? Anyone proving that they have what it takes to take on this president toe to toe. Let's bring in our prime time primary team to assess what's going on so far. The one and only David Gregory. We got Sabrina Siddiqui and Elena Plot. All right. Everybody's been kind of watching, except when you've been sitting here. It is still ongoing. Big takeaway, Dave. Well, I think Joe Biden showed up tonight. I think he showed that he was steadier. I think he had some fight in him. He had Bernie Sanders on his right. He had Elizabeth Sanders on his left, even though they're both on his left. And he was able to give it and take it a little bit. They spent the first 40 minutes talking about the health care debate. You call her Sanders on purpose? I'm sorry, Elizabeth Warren. Was it a, was it, was it a mistake? Because no, it was pretty it was pretty clever. <laughs> no, it was a mistake. But the point is, he went after them both on how you're going to pay for it, on where he differs, on defending uh, what he did in the Obama administration. So he had some of that fight. He looked steadier. I think Democrats wanted to see that if he had that kind of viability. That was a big takeaway for me. Uh, I agree with him from what I was watching before I did my show. Disagreement? Anybody think Biden didn't raise the game? I think that Joe Biden certainly showed a lot more fire. He was less on the defensive that he has been in some of the previous debate nights. But it's the first time that he shared the stage with Senator Elizabeth Warren, who comes off as a much more effective messenger for the progressive wing of the Democratic Party than Bernie Sanders, even though they share a lot of the same ideas. She, she, she delivers it with a great deal of clarity. I think she had a really strong line when she said, I've never met any American who likes their health insurance companies, for example. That's something that will stick with people in terms of why she's offering offering these big, bold proposals. And that's still the debate that played out, whether or not they want to really lead a grassroots progressive movement or whether Democratic voters are more driven by that incremental change, that steady hand that Joe Biden and some of the more moderate candidates are advocating. All right, so Elena, play to that, but also anybody stink it up tonight? You know, I, I would actually push back against that a bit because I think- The Warren where, part of the Biden? Uh, the Warren part, okay. because I think- um, 
What shows when she goes up against Joe Biden is her consistent unwillingness to admit that her plan, her Medicare for all plan, which is actually, you know, Bernie Sanders's plan, would raise taxes on the middle class. And she cannot say that outright. It's the reason that this debate has dominated the beginning of every single Democratic debate we've had thus far. If her answer is that, yes, it will raise taxes on the middle class, but the net effect of you paying less for your health care means that this won't be as problematic as it might seem. She has to trust Americans to digest that on their own, but she won't say it. Well, I actually agree with both of you. First of all, I think Elizabeth Warren is a really good debater. I think mm -hmm. she's poised. I think she's strong. I think she both has, she can take the fight, but she's also, as you said, it's just, she's an excellent synthesizer of the progressive view. She's she a lot a smoother. Right. And she's, by the way, she's a lot smoother than Joe Biden in these mm -hmm. settings. I mean, Kamala Harris is very good too, but I thought Elizabeth Warren was very good. But there's no question that where reality meets these plans is a, is a big chasm right now. And the truth is to spend 40 minutes on, on you know, in the weeds policy about healthcare is something we're they not gonna remember it. in the now, morning. A little bit of it is that's the responsibility of the journalists, right? And yeah. they got a great panel up there asking questions. But it does make me wonder if these people see the forest for the trees. You know, they're like talking about, well, I could keep this one and you're going to lose that one. And this one is incremental and mine is buying in and yours is they have to opt in. And meanwhile, they're sitting preparing for a fight with a guy who's just holding an axe yeah. on the other side of the thing, whose whole thing on health care is you're a socialist bum. And mine will be better. And it wasn't until Kamala Harris that she even brought up Donald Trump in that respect. Up until that point, it, it was as though every Democrat on that stage was only running against each other and there was no general election on the horizon at all. Um, so I do think that Senator Harris deserves some credit for being the first one to say, hi, remember Donald Trump, he exists and he wants to gut all of this. But we're still, and some of the yeah, biggest applause lines were when some of the candidates said, look, while we're spending all this time attacking one another, the person who has the most to gain is President well, Donald Trump. That up when, well, from the part I saw, and tell me if there was something that bested this uh, later in the debate, but when Julian Castro took what, uh, I'm sorry, it is a cheap shot at Joe Biden. I've been on stages like that. It is not easy to hear you, let alone somebody who's down there. And he made a, an obvious reference to his age. Well, when he's saying, did you forget what you said just two minutes ago, that you're contradicting I mean, yourself about, yeah. It's gotta be an age crack. That's yeah, all well, it is. It's also that, 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 that Biden has been misremembering, forgetting details. But I don't think he actually did there. No, he didn't. No. I don't know that no. he did. Yeah. Julian Castro no. was wrong. Not only right. was Joe it a was horrible a distinction shot, of, but Biden was drawing a distinction about cancer right. uh, patients right. and, what, and whether they right. get in automatically or not based on need. But what does that do for Castro? I mean, he came off small in that. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think um, Castro and some of these others who are on the wings have to find a way to break through. Mm -hmm. uh, Kamala Harris found a way in that first debate, and then it did. She did drop back after that. You know, I think Castro has been a more durable and interesting candidate than people would have thought in the beginning. I don't think this was a good night for him. Look, President Trump is, is a pretty good political analyst, and he said this evening, because only he would do this, just like just hold forth with reporters and say, yeah, I think it's probably going to be the three by the end. You know, it's going to be <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. And Joe Biden, we'll see if Joe Biden can pull it through. That tension between older establishment, uh, white politician, and newer, both, both and then newer, newer, newer really progressive white politician. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> and then, so Bernie Sanders doesn't qualify to that except being so progressive and Warren. I mean, I think that is going to be the fundamental tension. And I will say at the end of this, I still think, despite the flashpoint over how you're going to pay for this kind of health care, I, I, I didn't think we saw 
the Elizabeth Warren-Joe Biden matchup that people were expecting. Well, you know what I think part of that is a function of, I want your take on this, Sabrina, is that it's easy to say they're going to go at it. When you are standing next to somebody, it is different than talking about them. Looking them in the face and saying all the things that you've said about me is not as easy, no matter how hungry you are. So it's always a little more muted. Like they said, John Yang was going to do something tonight that nobody's ever done before, Andrew Yang. What was that? And these candidates have learned time and again that it's best not to telegraph your attacks right. before Absolutely. the debate. But I think to David's point, when you're looking at people like Julian Castro and some of the other candidates who've been lagging in the polls, they really have few opportunities to make an impact. Now, that may have not been the most effective way to do so. But even Senator Amy Klobuchar, who's Minnesota nice, came out swinging tonight. And I think that with the qualifications for these debates, the thresholds becoming more and more difficult, this may be the last time that some of these candidates have the opportunity to face the American public on the debate stage. So everyone's looking for that moment. Yeah, there's a practicality there's at a, play. Whether or not you land the moment is a separate right. it's Also, It's also how it's set up. I mean, I do think the moderators wanted them to go after each other. Right. They hung back a little bit. But also the moderators here have not been trying to pit them against each other as much as you might expect. Right. And look, it is a, com it's a competition. It's a competitive environment. And you guys reward opposition. You just do. That's what people resonate off of after these debates, the gotchas. So we'll see what happens here. Let's take a quick break. Come on, debate round three. Who's going to be there? What does it mean next? We're back with our A-team. We have Elena Plot. We have Sabrina Siddiqui. We have David Gregory. You know, the best conversations are always in the commercial. Not tonight. <laughs> you were saying just before we came on air that there is a measure for Joe Biden uh, that you believe he needs to reach. What is it? I just think he's spending so much of his time on the defensive. I don't think he has his progressive voice yet, other than saying, don't forget I stood by Barack Obama for eight years. He's saying, well, I can be Trump, I can work with Republicans, and uh, I'm not as bad as the progressives say. I'm actually more progressive than you think. I don't think he's found his groove. And I was thinking about what has tonight and this debate been about? It's A lot of it is about progressive passion on the issue of guns and immigration and uh, countering Trump on trade on health care. That's important at this stage of the game because more and more progressive voters who are going to be out there are starting to pay attention, but so are less passionate voters who are just trying to take everybody's measure. And I'm just not sure he's found his voice. I think he found some fight tonight. He steadied himself, but I still think he's got a ways to go as a front runner to really find that voice that captures all sides of this. Finesse point on David Sabrina is does he need to find a progressive voice, okay, or as a proxy for that in terms of its distinguishing characteristic? Doesn't have to be something personal, because isn't this going to be an identity politics election where you're going to have to prove that you are a positive opposite to Donald Trump and who he is as a person is going to have to be every bit as important as your plan for health care? And that's really been at the core of Biden's argument thus far on the campaign trail, that we can debate all of these high-minded policy issues, but there are a lot of Americans who think that the world is on fire and they want to see change in the White House. And there's an urgency of this moment when it comes to the character of the president in office right now and where we should be as a country. But to David's point, you saw Biden do this a little bit tonight where he tried to play up the Obama record. You heard him say about Senator Warren, she's for Bernie, I'm for Barack. When the topic turned to immigration, he pointed out that something like DACA 
the program for Dreamers hadn't been done in this country before, but he would probably benefit from running more aggressively on the Obama record and pointing out when they're talking about health care, how for the first time in this country's history under the Obama administration, you did have a government-run health care plan. When the topic turns to tough on crime bill, he could point out that the first major criminal justice reform in recent years happened under the Obama administration's watch. They did make a big push after Sandy Hook for gun control. They didn't get there. But that's where he hasn't really gone because he spent a lot more time trying to hit back at his, his opponents and on the well, defensive. Also because progressives want more. Right. They're like, yeah, you, you know, you said a lot of things, but you didn't get guns through. Our politics are so small right now. One of the things you got to do, and I think Warren is doing this well. I think Bernie Sanders is doing it. You got to speak to people's pain. Those people in the key states who might have been Obama voters who came for Trump, who, who want to have their pain addressed in some fashion. And Biden's got that capacity. So, Elena, we had a, a, the Wizard of Odds gave me this great number the other night that he pulled out of the polls that Democrats who say my main concern is beating Trump, mm-hmm. Biden is very high. And my suggestion was, well, he's got to prove that he's the fighter who can win because this is going to be a very basic fight for the soul of America election. I really believe that. I don't think it's going to be won on policy other than the policy of who we are and what we're about. Right. And and that's why I think that Biden being on the defensive is such a crucial metric for understanding where he is coming up short. Biden hasn't, if you think about it, articulated yet why he is running for president. I think any speech you listen to of his, any time um, he gives a speech on the debate stage, it, it, it is never quite clear to voters, I think, why he feels now the time is uh, right for him to run for president. You have somebody like Cory Booker talking about a movement he wants to start. And, you know, you can be like Amy Klobuchar and say a lot of this, you know, bold messaging. I don't, you know, it doesn't really jive with me, whatever. But the thing is, Biden, it's like he's getting up there as though he was preordained to run for president and is just trying to deflect as many attacks as he can rather than articulate the positive message of why 2020 is the time for him to be in the White House. Is that a phase change for him that first he's got to winnow the field and weather the attacks? And then as it gets smaller, you move into that phase of saying, here's what I'm going to do next against the next. Yeah, guy. but I also think we're in a we're in a time and certainly in a democratic race where there is such a focus on policy. I mean, we see it in our we see it in our media, a lot of the depth around policy positions. People want specific answers. But really what he wants to say is I want to get back to our regularly scheduled programming in America. And, you know, one of the things that Obama benefited from when he was running was that he embodied change in a lot of ways. First African-American uh, president, but he also also represented change in how America would face the rest of the world. Americans were tired of how much tumult there was in the world because of war and how America was projected around the globe. And I think that's where Trump is vulnerable now. Mm-hmm. The world is tired. Americans are tired, a lot of them, about how this is all playing. He's got to also tap into that. And, fi- and I do think he's done some of that by saying, look, you know, it is a, a fight for the soul of who we are uh, and getting back to that basic identity. But I think on the debate stage, at least, he's getting caught up in a lot of where he has to defend right. the record and take, Here's the, take thing. the progressive I mean, agenda. I just I can't feel it any more strongly than I do. I've just been around this too long and seen too much of this and know Trump too well. He has to know that he has not grown the tent. He has to. I don't care what he says about his internal polling. If it's so strong, he should show it to us. That'll never happen. That proves that point. It has to be a war of attrition. A war of attrition is fought one way in politics, which is you stink. That is the only way it goes. You're going to be on an identity basis. Who's better, me or you, as people, as what we project to this country? That means that Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren or whomever they come up with has to find a way to call out who I am and get tough 
without coming off as more of the same. That is a tough trick against somebody who will not play clean from the minute the gun goes off. And think about it from just this week, you had polling here at CNN show that 60% of Americans do not think that Donald Trump deserves a second term. Still got to beat him. And what that reinforced, to your point, is that Donald Trump has a base. He doesn't have a coalition. That's right. And you need to put together a coalition in order to win a presidential election. In 2016, he was able to cobble together enough independents who swung toward Republicans and keep suburban women who held their nose and said, well, we'll see if the presidency changes him. The 20 midterms, you saw that pendulum swing back toward Democrats with suburban women with independence. So whoever it is, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it's Elizabeth Warren, whether it's Bernie Sanders or any of the other candidates who are on the margins, those are the people that they need to target. Those are the people that they need to reach because clearly they are within grasp of the Democratic Party. That's what we saw in 2018, which was very much a referendum on the president. Right. But if that's the fundamental question, the proposition that this president is unfit, that you are not what we want as a mm -hmm. president, you have to make that case in a very specific way, and it's not that you have better ideas for policy. And you know what's interesting is I have covered so many Trump rallies at this point this year. I never hear voters tell me that they are afraid of Joe Biden. They never say the word afraid, of course, but I hear Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren's name over and over as somebody who, to your point, has a coalition. I remember having one voter tell me in Manchester, New Hampshire, a few weeks ago, Elizabeth Warren is a talker like Donald Trump is. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, I think she could get on the debate stage and throw it right back at him. And that's the sort of thing that, you know, the esoteric nature of policy debates dissolved in that moment. If you have somebody like Elizabeth Warren, who is a talker in this voter's words, and can distill, you know, succinctly for the American people why he has uprooted the norms and standards of this country and what she will do to bring them back, but more importantly, why he stinks, as you said, as he is going to be saying so, to her. I have a slightly different take on that. I, I absolutely agree, but I think what you're saying, Chris, is right, which is, for the, the misconception is that somehow you can give it as good as he gives it, and that's going to help. I mean, Hillary Clinton won those debates, and right. she lost the election, so that doesn't matter. I mean, she did. I mean, does anybody think she didn't win those debates? So the idea that you're going to win on points in a debate, look, Elizabeth Warren has one advantage in that she sounds like Donald Trump. She did tonight on the issue of mm -hmm. trade. Mm -hmm. She went after multi-corporations you know, who are happy to send jobs overseas. She sounded like Trump. She has the benefit of being able to mirror some of that and say, but I can actually get something done. And you know she is disgusted by him. I think that's important for people it's in the Democratic Party. It's that visceral sort yeah, of, yeah, I hear yeah, it like all it's the seeping out of her. The criticism yes. I get from that party on a regular basis is... Why do you even have them on? You know, why did you even say that this was good what he did? Right. He is a disgusting person. You hear it all the time. Mm -hmm. Steve Cohen the other night, the congressman from Tennessee. Are you going to work with him trying to get guns done? You can't work with this mm -hmm. man. He's the worst human being we've ever had. There are a lot of them that feel that way. You must harness that if you're going to be that person, no? Well, I think that there's the question of temperament. And you also saw Beto work, for example, tonight point to the El Paso shooting. Of course, that's his hometown and talk about this moment in terms of race relations, in terms of immigration. And to David's point, there's also the question of how do you reach some of those independent minded voters or people who vote for Trump uh, on an economic message? And the key to that is pointing out that his policies aren't actually benefiting the people who voted for him. And so you saw they some think of the, he feels you like saw they, some of the candidates go there on trade. Well, that's where they should really hit hard on the issue of tariffs that 
the economy, which had been doing well, is facing potentially another downturn in part because of this escalating trade wars. If the they can harness waged. the emotion as well. Right. What, what the president the did brilliantly, okay, sorry, but he did, is that he had people he had no natural connection to. He represents what they see as threatening. You know, he checks every box of an elitist. But he sold them on the proposition, I feel how you feel. I, right. I'm angry at the same and thing that's that you're why angry I think at. you see farmers right now in report after report tell journalists that even though these tariffs are quite objectively hurting them, they still vote. They still want to vote for the guy. Right. And they say, you know, maybe a little sh short term hurt is mm -hmm. good for long term gain. What does that mean economically? I, I think it's kind of nonsense, but it does get into what you're saying. There is a visceral attachment there that economic realities aren't going to dispel. They're also... A lot of the Trump haters, liberals who are giving you that feedback think because they believe that he's such a horrible human being that no one would sacrifice their principles oh, and actually yes. vote for him again. Mm -hmm. And this is where they don't remember that people compartmentalize about politicians mm -hmm. all the time if they think he has other redeeming qualities. The most effective part of what Donald Trump does as a leader is play the outsider. Even as president of the United States, it's remarkable mm -hmm. that he, he campaigns against, against the rest of the government. He, he can't keep anybody in a job, and yet somehow he's still fighting as the outsider. But let's remember, he got voters that Barack Obama got. And Elizabeth Warren can get those. Uh, Biden has a chance to get them too, Bernie Sanders too. This is why I think it's going to be narrow. We know it's going to be narrow. We've got a base here. We've got a base there. We've got independent voters. But you have movable voters who I think are paying attention to where are they feeling pain, where are they think, thinking that institutions, their companies, uh, or their government is not getting it done for them. We also know that there is a fundamental disconnect between people's appetite for policies that are about government largesse even if they would benefit them. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, you know, the working man or woman may be benefited from a single payer plan, mm -hmm. um, but they feel like it's too expensive, even though they would be the beneficiary of the plan. And that's something to remember in terms of the visceral versus the intellectual, is that you're better off with this in politics mm -hmm. than this seven days out of seven. And I still think that the problem with the granular stuff, I know in the primary you have that kind of fight, then you move towards the center and the general, this is a different world that we're living mm -hmm. in right now. And I think every day that's spent by Democrats not showing that they get how people feel about this president, about this country, but that they have great ideas is a day wasted. Mm -hmm. I think it depends. I think that's absolutely true. And Donald Trump has tapped into people's racial anxieties, economic anxieties. But he did try to repeat that messaging around yeah. immigration, this the scare tactics and fear mongering in 2018 to very little success. And Democrats succeeded by not playing his game, true. by not taking the bait and by staying focused on pre-existing conditions mm -hmm. and health care, which reinforces that for a lot of voters going to the polls, top issues are very much still jobs in the economy and healthcare. Understood. All right. Elena, Sabrina, David, thank you very much. We're going to do a quick break and we will get back to our debate coverage. Stay with CNN. All right. More of our continuing coverage on the debate. How about this? How big a night is this? You know, I'm, I'm anti-hype, uh, but this was supposed <laughs> to be whether or not Biden could take on Warren. He was spending a lot of his night doing this, a little bit for you and a little bit for you, a little bit for you. It was one on two a lot of the night. It was, and I think, uh, you know, we're in a, a, a moment of our coverage and I'm kind of taking in 2020 coverage, thinking about 2016, how early on the Republican side things settled in 
for Trump and didn't really change and wondering if that's going to happen here is it really as dynamic as we think it might be. So I think these early impressions really do matter. And I think a lot of voters, especially now after the summer, maybe it's not just the activists who are watching the first couple of debates. Now it's people with more general interest saying, okay, let's see, you know, what's what here and who's who. Uh, I think it is a big night. I think it's a smaller field. It's not two nights. I think that matters. I think this, this field can't narrow soon enough and it needs to narrow further for the good of the party. Uh, so I think it is a big night in taking uh, the general measure and an important night for Biden. I I'm not sure how large it looms yet. I think we in the media are going to define that over the next couple of days for, for people, honestly. Well, the debate is obviously coming to an end. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break and then we'll see how it all panned out and give you the best analysis we can. Stay with CNN. Where does this lead the Democrats? You know, what did they figure out for themselves tonight? Let's discuss that. We got David here with Elena and Sabrina. Uh, the idea of it's got to be one of two things. Either you want somebody who can go toe to toe with Donald Trump, whatever that means, or you want to return to normal. Or do you think it's an amalgam of those two interests? You know, Twitter ain't the Democratic Party. Right. Uh, these far left voices that are amplified, 80 plus percent of the party identifies itself as center left. What are they going to want? I do think that the party recognizes this is not about going big in the sense of the whole map. It's about where can you win that Clinton couldn't. So that is a, a part of the fight about who can take it to Trump. That's true. But there's too much activism on the left right now to say it can't just be about Trump. We got to figure out who we are. And the bolder we are, the more progressive we are. That's the shot to the future. You know, that's what Barry Goldwater talked about mm -hmm. in 1964. He knew he didn't really have a shot to win, but he's like, conservatives grow up. We got to get our act together. It took until 1980 before mm -hmm. it happened. I think progressives are making the argument that that's how we actually change things is find our voice. And I think that's there was a lot of agreement on that stage tonight. And a lot of that agreement is about cementing what that progressive path is. Well, I so I, I do love that Goldwater analogy that he lost in 64 and it took until Reagan for kind of his um, ideology to be embodied within the Oval Office. But I think there are a large portion of Americans right now who are so exhausted by this presidency that they don't want to wait, um, you know, 10, 15 years, however long it is, for the platonic ideal of progressivism to um, materialize and take the Oval Office. You know, that's why I do think that Senator Michael Bennett, um, he didn't make the stage tonight, but he did have a message uh, like a month ago and said, I kind of want to make America boring again. I promise if you elect me, you will not hear about me for two weeks at a time, what I'm doing, what I'm tweeting, who I'm talking to. And I do think that there are people that could resonate with in this country. And that's that's what I think Joe Biden succeeds in communicating, that he might help make America boring. Well, what's again, the difference between Goldwater and Reagan, to your point? And thank you for setting the table with that. Reagan did, to use your word of his idea, embody it. He made you feel it. You know, my, my father, wherever he is right now, he's hating that I'm talking about Reagan that way because he didn't like the policies. He thought it was a tale of two cities um, that he was portraying rich versus poor. But he made people feel that he believed in the country and he connected with their needs and wants. That's the democratic task as well.
And there's been a lot of focus tonight on the top three, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders, which reinforces that perhaps this debate didn't do a lot to change the status quo. But those three also really embody both the ideological divide within the party, mm -hmm. as well as this conflict between whether or not you want to start a movement, whether or not this is a Warren Sanders style grassroots movement, you or see is it Joe Biden? The field who could push through in the next five, six months? Well, there are a lot of people you've seen Kamala Harris come and- Think she's going to come back? I think it's possible. It's so early. There's so much time until voters actually go to the polls. Beto Rourke had a very strong night. And if you think about it, for a lot of these candidates, it's about making the next debate stage mm. because they want to stay before the public and you, eye. You and got one like strong a, night. You got a few hundred later. days before voting, right? Yeah, Sabrina, you're exactly right. Because then what happens? Who wins Iowa? Let's say it's now Biden. Now it's a whole new narrative. And let's be very honest about ourselves. What we want is new narratives. So, you know, when <laughs> Iowa happens, you can have a new story, the statement of the case about the election. Then you're going to go to the next state and the next state. And if you pull off a winner, you're second or third. Kamala Harris is second mm -hmm. or third in one of those first couple of races. Here she comes. So you're right. This matters. But it doesn't matter as much as that will. Well, that's right. And we also are going to start dissecting voting groups and who's showing up to such a degree. And the candidates are going to start doing that as well. They're going to start tailoring their message uh, to, to appeal to those particular groups. Um, but, you know, in the end, there's a lot of fear here. You know, Trump got into power based on fear. He didn't have big, bold ideas. It was American carnage. Uh, and here there's fear of Trump. Um, and there's also, you know, make no mistake, where there was such agreement tonight was that government can and must alter the playing field for Americans, can change behavior, can change uh, the course of people's lives. Uh, there's not really a conservative in the race because no. Donald Trump is not that. So, you know, what, what conservatives are fighting about is conserving a, a different role for government, which is what Reagan embodied was that idea of the conservation of, of first principles. That's not really... Uh, that's not what's being debated here. But where there was consensus tonight is how much government can and should do. And there's the fight. There's Biden saying, whoa, you know, I, I mean, I aligned myself with a progressive in Barack Obama. Now we want to go so much farther than that on in the Democratic Party. They're going to spend a lot of time fighting about that. And to your point, Trump's just going to be waiting and saying, great, you're all socialists as far as I'm concerned. You fight it out and whoever wins is going to be bloodied by that. And here I come. Mm. Also, you know what's important to know that we're going to have to start doing more reporting on is who is tooling up for what races? Like for all we know, Yang is putting his money behind having an amazing infrastructure in New Hampshire. And let's say he pops the numbers there and winds up pulling off a fourth. All of a sudden, he's in the top four for the entire time until that next primary, maybe even after that. That's why the state of play matters so much in terms of organizing and figuring out how to connect. Step Are you by step. still convinced that that's even true, though, after 2016? I mean, take Rubio. His infrastructure in Nevada, for mm -hmm. instance, was phenomenal. Yes. I mean, I remember being on the ground there and it just in the early days when everyone thought Trump was a joke, there was no question that Rubio was winning that state. He came in third yep. to Trump and Cruz. I mean, Trump, the whole joke about Trump was that he had no infrastructure, that this was so haphazard. You are 100% right. I'm making the case that there's only one way that the outside of this field gets inside. I see. Okay. And they yeah. have to pull off. Yeah. They have to pull a rabbit out of the hat because they have to make you care about him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The people who are writing about, you know, we were talking earlier about why Klobuchar hasn't gotten more run because we don't give her the run because mm -hmm. she hasn't said things to distinguish herself. I mean, I've had her on the show numerous times. We've done town halls with her, but she hasn't done enough to get the media to start pushing the cause. Mm -hmm. You know, how did people find out who Beto O'Rourke was? Well, the Democrats threw a ton of money at him and infrastructure because they wanted to beat Cruz. 
He lost, but he became a golden boy. Then he got put on the cover of Vanity Fair. Now he's a golden boy again. Everybody talks him up. He raises money. Then he falls down. The media leaves him alone, and that's where he stayed. Kamala Harris, same thing. Buttigieg, same thing. Warren now. You know, if the media is giving you energy because you're resonating and you're getting the headlines from being on the debate, you start to make your own luck. Mm -hmm. Right. And to your point, by the time we got to Nevada in 2016, Mark Rubio's ground game was almost irrelevant because he was already losing. And to the point you made earlier, Ted Cruz, through his infrastructure in Iowa, that's where he finished first, to the surprise of many. And that really changed the changed narrative it. around the race. I think had it not been for Donald Trump, Ted Cruz very likely would have been the Republican nominee. And so that's where the ground game very much still does matter. And Elizabeth Warren actually has a very formidable ground game in the early states. That's why the Trump campaign is internally somewhat concerned about her prospects. And just kind of to the point that you made about the Rust Belt and this tension in the Democratic Party, Donald Trump won those states by maybe 20 to 22,000 votes. So the margins are really, really tight. So the question for Democrats is, are they going to make a really big play for those independent-minded voters through this approach of incrementalism? Or are they going to try and put together that Obama coalition of voters and really double down on the base? which is people of color, young voters, right. and women. That's they, what they, and that's they what don't have to be mutually exclusive either. I mean, remember, Cruz, who had, you know, by all accounts, a brilliant team of strategists, based their voter models off of a 6 million people turnout um, in Texas. How many turned out? Eight million. That's why Beto O'Rourke actually came as close as he did mm -hmm. to beating Ted Cruz. And if that kind of model is replicated in 2020, that sort of focus on young people, on um, minority voters, that's where that matters. But, you know, uh, something that we've kicked around, I think, a few times is, is sitting with me now, which is, you know, a lot of this debate was about winning the progressive primary, winning the big progressive idea. That's really where the fight is. Biden, who, who catapulted his campaign with the idea that it was a rejection of Donald Trump, and this was a fight for the soul of America, he's not spending a lot of his time talking about that. Tonight. That's right. He's on the defensive. He's trying to sound hip and with it, that he can take on his opponents, that he can remember facts. He's trying much too hard, in my judgment, because he he's, can't command all these facts. And he sounds like he's 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 uh, stumbling like he over words because he's, right, he's trying and, yeah. to remember facts mm -hmm. that, that his advisors have prepped with him. Only Kamala Harris tonight, uh, at the point that I saw it for the first hour and a half, was really saying, bringing it back to who are we mm -hmm. up against? Mm -hmm. You know, Barack Obama was really, this was his candidacy was a, really about Iraq, and it was about rejecting Iraq. This is only going to be about rejecting Trump. Uh, but right now they're fighting two things at once, the progressive ideas and the future and taking on Trump. And think about it, Senator Kamala Harris spent the first two debates really going after Joe Biden. And right. so it's been quite a striking turnaround to see her sort of congratulating her opponents and, and say, you know, really giving them their credit. Well, I think she's looking for a and way turning, in here. And yeah. to, but the turning the focus circle. back to Trump, because I yeah. think that increasingly the field is realizing that Democratic voters are much more concerned with how you're going to take on Donald Trump. And, and Joe Biden, you know, the polls only tell you so much, but he still has such a commanding lead. His campaign has been singularly focused because on the Donald electability, Trump. The, the polling in terms of the primary focus of the Democratic electorate being about electability, that polling has been there from the get go. So it's interesting to me that, you know, somebody like Kamala Harris, for instance, is only just now kind of trying to bring it back. And that was a stunning moment vis-a-vis -vis healthcare when she said, remember who we're up against, um, you know, 
Donald Trump, we will, you know, campaign against Obamacare with no replacement in mind. Let's talk about that for a moment. Um, the fact that she's doing that just now, I mean, I have to wonder if it's too late. So then what? All right. So let's figure out who's telling them what, because we've all seen the same numbers. Every time you ask the Democrats, they have an existential exactly. fear about this president. And even if it's not fear, it's outrage, you know, um, that they want him out. And they say, oh, I hear it on my radio show. I have this serious radio show uh, two hours every day. Everybody who doesn't want Trump says they'll vote for anybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, it's only once you get in to the Democratic parties and you start you start messing with them about it. Now they start talking about the gradations. So who's telling them what that they're not focusing on what we all see as well, obvious? So, you know, the two conversations is about that it that as much as Democrats want the election to just be a referendum on him, it's going to be a choice between two people. And they're going to have to defend their policies, not just against Trump, against naysayers. And they're going to have to persuade those who are persuadable that, that they can actually speak to their pain. I think that's what Elizabeth Warren is trying. That's what they're all trying to do, especially the progressives, saying these are big ideas that are actually going to move people in a way that Donald Trump has not been able to help them. And that would go beyond where Barack Obama has been. Um, but that the fundamental bet is still that there, there are enough voters who are open because they're tired of the mm -hmm. Trump show. They're really, they're turned off or they think he hasn't delivered. And I think that's still a primary message that they're getting, that they're campaigning on. But they, they've got to be about something more. Look, you have AOC in Congress. I mean, she is full of big, bold, progressive ideas, and she's taking on Trump. And I think this is where the candidates are, are trying to mirror some of that progressive yeah, here, activity. Here's the thing, though. Like, everything's case by case. She won against a no-show Crowley. I get it. Uh, and he, he got the attention now of right. the active I mean, swing of the party. You know, he did a lot of good things according to his party, but he was a no-show there. I don't know how much traction she's getting there. The media loves her. Okay, she's got a nickname. We call her by three initials, you know, and now she's got that whole uh, group with her that they call the squad. That's about us. I don't know how it resonates to the American people, let alone on mm -hmm. the next uh, level. So this debate tonight uh, was supposed to be a big showdown debate. It didn't really happen, although it does seem that we've had the best Biden to date. The question is, is the best Biden good enough at this point? Well, I... I think intellectually speaking, a lot of these campaigns understand that, yes, this is an existential fight against Donald Trump. What I love coming, why I love coming on your show, Chris, is we talk about the human element so much. And just like you were saying, when you get, a, you know, you can talk a big game against an opponent. When you get on that stage and they're right there, it's harder. Same thing with talking about Trump. Quibbling right. gets harder. You're right. You're all right. That's why I love having you. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. I'll be back at midnight. But right now, post-debate coverage begins with Anderson Cooper. Anderson, Chris. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.